We're going to jump into God's Word together. Um, if you have a Bible, um, this is going to this is going to kind of be like story time with Kevin. Okay, and here's how it's going to work. We're going to spend some time in the Book of Philippians, and you can consider that the present, right? And then we're going to do little flashbacks in the Book of Acts. And um, if you're too lazy to turn your Bibles and do all that page flipping, that's fine because we got the words up on the screen. Um, thank you, production team, and everybody who puts words on screens. You just make our life better. They make it easier, right? Um, so yeah, we'll start off in Philippians. Um, we, as a church, several years ago, many years ago, I should say, we used to make these movie trailers, right? I told you how we we're going to start a new series next week. And so in order to start these series and build excitement, we'd build these cool movie trailers. And it started pretty simple. And then it just kind of started ramping up, you know, and uh, got more and more intense. And I remember um, at one point, we were getting ready to start conveniently a series through the book of Philippians uh, called Rampart. And uh, oh, somebody remembers. And so we, uh, we were um, brainstorming as a creative team. It's like, oh, what, what, what could we do? What, what would this look like? And and there's no bad ideas, you know? <laughs> we can do whatever you want. And, and it had escalated to the point that we had come up with this idea of having a post-apocalyptic world, like a sci-fi world, where like these evil um, uh, assassins are trying to assassinate this little girl, and they can't. And, and so then we, uh, like, we sewed costumes together, and we got all of our camera gear, and we loaded up in a 15-passenger van. We drove to St. Anthony, Idaho, where there were sand dunes, and we filmed, like, dudes doing backflips off of dunes and firing guns, and, you know, uh, we had sand in our ears and our eyes and our cameras and our shoes everywhere, and, and then we drove back, and then we started editing everything and putting it all together, and we green-screened my daughter. She was the representation of love, or of, of joy, and and, like... We put all this stuff together, right? And I'm the one who's kind of managing this whole project, and, and I'm the one who's doing the editing and the after, the after Effects and all the cool stuff. And I remember when it was done, it was like, okay. And you got all the team together. I was like, you guys ready? And we played the video, right? So much work. Blood, sweat, and tears goes into this thing. Play the video. And the reaction was priceless. It's like, eh, what do you mean? It's like, I mean, it's cool. I'm just kind of disappointed. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't look like as cool as it could. It's like, we had a budget of $50. We're not Netflix, you know? Like, what did you expect? And I remember being so bummed out because it's like, wow, so much had gone into this. But what do you do when your best is not good enough? How, how do you react when you poured everything into this thing and it just wasn't good enough? I think, I think we are going to get a little insight into that as we, as we tear through this scripture together. Um, before we jump in, I just want to pray for this moment. Um, God, your word is alive. It is powerful. It has the ability to cut straight through our hearts and change us in ways that nothing else ever could. And so, Lord, as we read through this incredible word, I pray that you would, you would challenge us, you would inspire us, you would change us in a way that we couldn't ever have imagined. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul wrapping up his letter to the Philippian church. And this is how it starts. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the, or who worship by the spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So it's like we come right out the gate. It's early in the morning on Sunday and we're already talking about circumcision. Some, some of you guys are like, see, this is, this is why. This is, this is I, we're, all, we're already going here, okay? Here, here's the thing. Paul is trying to establish a precedent, right? He says, hey, look, there are Jews, there are Hebrews who are trying to impose an unnecessary burden on those who are coming to faith in Christ, right? Because circumcision, that was an old Jewish tradition. He says, y'all, you don't have to do that anymore. Like, surprise, it's, you, 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 that, that's not necessary, right? Because we have, quote unquote, been cut, circumcised in, by the heart, by the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh, okay? But then Paul Paul takes it a little further because we're talking about confidence, right? He says this in verse four. It says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, a little braggy, a little braggy, Paul. I don't know if that's braggy as a fruit of the spirit, but here we go. Um, and And then he goes off. Ready for this? Circumcised on the eighth day, right? If you're a good Hebrew boy, you got circumcised on the eighth day. Not that you had anything to do with it. It was your parents. But of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the ones who upheld the law. So not only, not only did he up, not only was he obedient to the law, he was one who would be on the level of upholding the law. But then he takes it further. He says, as to zeal, right, a persecutor of the church. In other words, the enemy of the Hebrews, of the Jews. I'm not just confident just maintaining the law, defending the law. I will, I will, I will fight for the law by persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if he's lying. But man, he's saying, I'm basically just below God as far as how good you can be of a Jew. It's like, okay. And, And to his zeal, speaking to his zeal, being the kind of person that believes so much in what he believes in that he's willing to annihilate, persecute, tear down the church, those who would follow Jesus. Okay, so we have Paul stating his credentials, right? These things that he is basically perfect in. And then we kind of, we kind of go back in time, okay? So we're going to go back to Acts chapter 9, and it says this. In regard to his, him persecuting the church, it says, but Saul still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, 
the, the high priest, that's like the, the president of the Jews, right? Hey, can you give me you know, papers so that I can go bounty hunting for, for uh, Christians? So that if he found any belonging to the way, right, Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul is a Jew, man, top tier, high level, high performing. He is the bounty hunter for the Pharisees, next level. And this was his response. Back to the present, Philippians, verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let me read that again. After everything that he just talked about, very, very good at what he does. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. When I think of that word gain, I think of like a, like a return on investment, you know, like you've, you, you've, you've amassed a gain, right? Um, this, is, this is something that, man, your whole life, you've been working for this, right? This is your whole life. You've been fighting for this. For so long, you've been waiting for it, right? And, 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 and the goal is to, to accumulate, to, to accomplish, to, to receive a positive return, right? The return on investment. And the thing is, Paul, he got it. He got it. He got it all. He's like, I, I've attained it all. I have, I have arrived. And when he added it up, he counted it as loss. Mathematically, it doesn't even make any sense because how can you have gain and yet count it as loss? He takes it even further. And in verse 8, it says, indeed, I count everything. Okay, so now he's moved away from just his accomplishments from just the things that he has done as a really, really good Hebrew man. And he, he, he expounds, he takes it further. He says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything, every, not just what I'm good, all things I consider a loss in comparison. I love how he wrote, worded that to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you, anybody in here have a savings account? Savings account of yet? Okay, good. That's good. Um, what about like stocks? Anybody like holding stocks? Anything like that? So we got a few people doing stocks. Um, what about um, those, those who are careless with their money and are investing in cryptocurrencies? Any of those? Okay. <laughs> Okay, now let's take it a step further. What about what we would call the degenerates who are investing in NFTs, right? Any degens in here? Good. <laughs> uh, right? In, in this whole investing world, man, there's a sense of you, you don't want to miss out on an opportunity, right? The, the hope is that you're getting in early, right? What does everybody, oh, you're here. You're in early. It's just the beginning. We're going to the moon, y'all, right? And, and, and it's like, yes, like let's say you did get in early. Maybe you did get this crazy investment. Paul is saying, man, if, if that were my life, if I got in early and I saw this incredible gain, right? Because he, he technically did get in early on the eighth day, right? He, he, got, 
And, and he saw this incredible gain throughout the whole life. And it's like, but when I look at it all, I count it as loss. How, how can you count such gain as a loss? I think it's because it's in the, it, it, you're exchanging what's good for what's incredible. What's good for what is the best, that word surpassing, um, man, it means exceeding, excelling, extraordinary, right? You kind of ask yourself after any investment, it's like, well, was it worth it, you know? Hopefully it was. Hopefully I got a little bit out of it. Paul, Paul is looking at his life and he's wondering, was it worth it? He, he, he goes even further, the second half of verse eight, he says, for his sake I have suffered the loss, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So that word suffered is like, ah, uh, okay, so I kind of liked where you were going with all this because it sounded fun, like we're going to the moon with Jesus and stuff, but then you started talking about suffering. Um, he, he uses that word sake. For his sake I have suffered uh, the loss of all things. That, that word sake is, it means like the, for the purpose of attaining. So for the purpose of attaining Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. What, what does it mean to suffer loss? Well, it means you're going through the process of difficult things. What if your identity was wrapped up in your heritage, right? Traba Benjamin, right? Uh, what if your identity was wrapped up in your possessions, what if your value was found in your bank accounts? What if your, your worth was in your position or your performance? To let go of those things? Man, that's me. That's Kevin Guido. That's, my, that's who I am. Man, to let go of those things? That, that's, that's not an easy thing. But Paul takes it a step further when he says this. I count them as rubbish. I think it's such a funny word to put in the ESV, rubbish, because like we're not English and there's no English stuff in here, but this one, they go rubbish. Um, better is the, uh, the uh, message translation. It says dog dung. <laughs> Take everything that I have ever done amazing in my life and it's the equivalent of, well, let me, let me put it this way. So my dog... I got a little golden doodle. She's a little sweetheart. She got sick. And for the course of three or four weeks, every morning we would wake up and there would be just diarrhea all over our house. And you're like, oh, why? <laughs> why, Lord? Why this again? <laughs> and the funny thing is, everybody in our family, you wake up and you pretend like it's not there. Oh, again? I didn't, I didn't see it. I had no idea. Did you smell it? Because it's awful, right? Paul's saying, every good thing, everything I've accomplished, all that I have done, I consider it this mess on your floor. That's, that's the value that I have ascribed to that. He endured the process of letting all these things. Why? To gain Christ. I love that Jesus, uh, at one point he's talking to his disciples and he tells them, he's like, hey, I want to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, um, 
and this is a little bit of a paraphrase. I'm not reading it out of the scripture, but basically a, a man had a dog who was sick. And so rather than having his dog staying in his house, he would take his dog on walks so that, you know, stuff can happen in the field. And he's walking through the, the field with his dog and his, his dog runs off and, you know, and he's calling his dog back. Hey, come on, come on. And his dog's not coming. And he's like, what's going on? Digging in the bushes over there. And, and so he, he walks over to where his dog is and he's like, oh, shiitake mushrooms. I love those. Those are delicious. He's like, wait a minute. And he like kind of scoops this back and then all of a sudden he sees something underneath the ground. Um, has anybody ever seen DuckTales? Yeah, yeah, woo And uh, you have uh, Scrooge McDuck's like vault of cash and he's just like swimming in it. Okay, that's what he saw when he was looking underneath the shiitake mushrooms. And, uh, and so he's like, okay, okay, okay. So put those back. And then he goes into town. And, and then it says, Jesus says, and with joy, he starts selling everything he has. He's pulling everything out of the garage, doing everything he can. He's, hey, you, those shoes look rough. Here, you want this? You want my shoe? You can have my shoe. 10 bucks. 10 bucks. It's worth 50, but I'll give it to you for 10. Eight? No. Five, five is yours. It's yours, right? And he sells everything he has with a sloppy, silly grin on his face. And then he takes all of that money and he goes to the title office and he lays it all out on the table. Everything that he ever had, he let go of. He sold and he traded it in. Why? Because there was a treasure that surpassed everything that he had. Everything that he accumulated, he found something better Here's the thing. Paul's best was not good enough. It never was going to be good enough. It wasn't good enough because he found something better. And what was that? It was a call from Jesus to come and follow him. Going back to Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Right, because he had gotten the papers from President Hebrew guy, right? And I'm gonna go, you know, dog bounty hunter on all these Jew the Christians, right? And he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he said, "Who are you, Lord?" And he said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city." and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Paul at his best. Paul going to go do the thing that he was convinced was the best thing for the Jews, the best thing for the world. He, and, and he encounters Jesus on the road in such a way that leaves him blind. He lost his sight. And you could say, I would imagine he didn't know what was going to happen next. Right, because Jesus called him. 
She says, here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to go into town. I can't see. He's got these guys with him. They'll, they'll help him get there. I, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what my life is. But what did he do? He responded to the call. Jesus said, hey, come on. And so he got up, right? It says that he rose and went into the city. At the same time, God reaches out to this, this man, Ananias. He's like, Ananias, hey, bro, what's going on? So here's the deal. Um, I need you to go down the straight street, and I need you to go into the house of Judas, and there's a guy there. Um, his, he's from Tarsus. His name is Saul. And I told him that um, a guy named Ananias was going to come and lay hands on him. Not like violent, like Christian, okay, like nice. He's going to lay hands on him. And so I need you to do that. And Ananias is like, cool. So here's the thing that I know. Um, that's a bad dude. And um, I don't know if you realize this, but he's actually like rounding up Christians and persecuting them and sending them to trial and shipping them out to, you know, Jerusalem. I, I, I really don't, I don't know if, if, if this is the best idea. God responds in verse 15 of Acts chapter 9. It says, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now you read that, or maybe you don't. I'm sorry for imposing that on you. I read that, and I think, yeah, punish that idiot for the crimes, the blood on his hands. He deserves to suffer, right? But here we have Paul who's responded to the call. He's leaning into what God has asked him to do. I need you to go into the city. I need you to wait for this guy in Ananias. And then you read in Romans 8 where it says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't think God is vitriolic in his, his desire to make Paul suffer. No, I think he's about to show him everything that he will lose for the purpose of obtaining the most incredible blessing that he could have ever imagined in his entire life. Christ, he's about to unlock something in Paul. Look at this, okay? Chap chapter 9, verse 17, it says, And so Ananias departed, and he entered the house and laying Christian hands on him. <laughs> he said, Brother Saul. I mean, look at the way he even greets him, right? Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he what? He regained his sight. He lost his sight, y'all. But now, with Christ, he has regained. Gained it, right? He's regained it, and, and then he rose and was baptized. Like, I can see who's handing out the baptisms. Where are those at? Kyle? Cool. Let's get in the tub. I want, I want that. I want that now. I understand. I believe. I've seen him with my eyes, and now I know. 
and taking food, which probably was the best meal that he's ever had in his whole life, right? He was strengthened. I was, I was talking to a buddy of mine right before this. His name's Kyle. He's sitting to my right. Um, and I was like, you know, it's amazing because Paul, it says that, that, um, that he waited for Ananias for three days. Three days he couldn't see. Three days he didn't eat. Three days he didn't drink. And, and when you're blind, you see nothing but your memory. See nothing but the things that you've done, what you've accumulated, what you've held on to. And in a moment, God is breaking all of it. He's, 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 he's changing and he's regaining his sight. He's, when he opens his eyes, when those scales fell, man, he got sight like he'd never seen before. Does it feel like your, your best is never good enough? I'd say good. It's not supposed to be. Why? Because it's Jesus who unlocks the greatest potential in you. It's as you follow Jesus that all of a sudden something rises up in you that you didn't even know was there. You can probably be thinking to yourself, I don't know, Pastor Kevin guy, kind of seems like a stretch that you take all that from regaining his eyesight because he lost it. This is a fun play on words. This is cool. I'm not done reading. We have to keep going. Okay, verse 19, it says, for some days he was with the disciples, where? At Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is it not this, the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests, but... But Saul increased all the more in strength. He thought he was strong before. Man, he had no idea, right? He increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Paul wanted to go to Damascus. That's what he wanted. What did God do? God called him to Damascus. God called him to, Paul, man, he, ah, ah. Paul, he had death on his mind. He had murder in his heart. He had condemnation in his spirit. He had pride in his soul. And that's how he was entering in. Look at, look at what I'm doing. Ah, We're going to Damascus. We're going to go be the vengeance of God, right? Instead, God called him into Damascus with a greater power and purpose and peace and joy and a light that dumbfounded everybody who witnessed it. For the first time ever, Paul experienced God's best in his life. Thought he had it, but man, when you realize he is the son of the living God, and you start telling people, and they see the light in your eyes. You come up out of that water after you're about to, you eat that steak, right? Those scales fall from your eyes. And you start just, oh, man, I saw something so terrifyingly beautiful. I can't even put it into words. I saw Christ himself, and it left me blind. First time ever experiencing God's best for his life. I love what Jesus says. He says, seek, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What I think is just so amazing is that God honored Paul's desire to go to Damascus, but in a way that he could have never imagined. You thought you were doing your best, but here's what I believe. I believe that you have no idea what's inside of you. I believe that you can't fully know who you are or even what you're capable of apart from Christ. It's he who unlocks the greatest within us and he does it through him. How? How does he do it? How? Do, how, how? I want it. I want this. How? It's an invitation to come and follow him. Because you know what? It's been the same way since the dawn of time, right? When, when, when God stood before Noah and he says, hey, I have an idea. What if we build a boat and we save humanity? Will you come follow me? Right? When he, when he appeared to Abraham and he said, hey, I have an idea. What if I make you a blessing to, to, and make you into nations? You bless the whole world, right? You come follow me, right? When he appeared to Moses and said, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> what if we save the nation of Israel from slavery? right? And we do it through crazy miracles and a staff that turns into a snake, right? Would you come follow me? Moses is like, ah, maybe if, maybe if Peter, hey, I got an idea. What if you ditch those nets? You become fishers of men, right? Paul, hey, got an idea. What if I send you into Damascus? It's like, I'm already going, what if I send you into Damascus? It was a call to follow. It's always been a call to follow. God is inviting us into something that we, we, we would never be able to experience without him. But if we would lean in, oh, it's not that it's going to be perfect, right? I don't want any ounce of this message to be condemning in any way. Like, oh, you idiot, you're not following Jesus? No, that's not the heart. It's not, it's not a perfect art. And that's what I love, Paul's response. He wraps up this whole idea right here in verse eight. Kind of goes back a little bit. It says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ following him. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, and I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, but by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this is the clincher. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Whew. Amen. Hey, you, you look at the contrast from Paul, the perfect Hebrew, to, follow, to Paul, the, the, the follower of Christ. And it's like, man, there's, a, there's, a, there's an, a little bit more humility in there, right? Man, I'm not perfect, but I'm following Christ, right? And it's not like, it's, it's not like any of us are gonna be perfect. Following Christ is a process of realigning, 
of refocusing. I, I hate date nights, clarifier, in uh, sports bars. I hate them because I have ADHD. And so I'm trying to focus on the love of my life. It's like, yeah, right here, right here, right? Oh, yes, that's right, us. <laughs> right? And it's like, it's, my wife doesn't condemn me in those moments, right? It's, it's this, hey, right here, come follow me. Kev, man, you kind of drifted. Come back. Just keep following me. Just keep following me. Keep following me. I don't condemn you. If I don't condemn you, who can condemn you? Right? God doesn't. Just keep coming. Just keep following. Man, you read about Noah's story? Done, done screwed up. Abraham, done screwed up. Moses, done screwed up. Could have made it easier on yourself, bro. Done screwed up. Peter, done screwed up. Paul, he says it right there. I done screwed up. But they all kept following Jesus. And it unlocked amazing things in their life. Your best will never be good enough. And I think that's okay because if you were perfect, you wouldn't need God. But I'm so thankful that Jesus all of who God is, stepped into his very creation, lived the perfect life, died the death of a criminal, but then gloriously rose from the dead and invited us to come along with him. Will you follow him? You want, you, you want to experience the best? Will you follow him? Let's pray. God, you are beyond gracious. You're beyond loving. You're rich in mercy, full of compassion. You know our struggles. You know our weaknesses. And yet you love us. What an amazing story. Think about Paul breathing murder on his way to, to tear apart your church. And you sweeping into his life and changing everything in a way that he considered everything that happened before that as just nothing. Nothing in comparison to the absolute treasure of knowing and following you. And then would go on to spend the entire rest of his life fighting for others to be able to experience this Jesus, the one true God. Lord, I pray for us in this moment. I pray for our hearts. Maybe we've been striving. Maybe we've been giving it everything we got and it just feels like it's constantly just not enough. And it's like, but when will it let up? When will I catch a break? When will this all sort itself out. For us to get to the point where we realize it never will. If we're chasing after all of these things, we'll lose them all. But if we chase after you, we gain everything. When you are the object of our joy, it's only then that we're able to enjoy everything else that comes with you. So God, I pray that we would do that. As you call us forward, I pray that we would lean in. As you call us in, 
pray that we would step up and we would follow you. And if you're here today and it's like, wow, this sounds amazing. I want to do that. I just don't know how. Well, it's really simple. Like I said earlier, it's, it's a call to follow the same as it's always been. To come and follow me. That's what God says. That's what's Christ's invitation to come and follow me. Drop the nets. Come on. Come follow me. Now, if that's you and you want to take that first step and step, get ready to, to, to lean into all that God has for you, then what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can almost see this prayer as like a, like a drawing a line in the sand. Like there was that moment where that dude was talking and I made a decision to just follow Christ. That's what this prayer can be for you. And if that's you in this moment, you want to give your life to God, you want to follow him, and you want to experience God's best for you, then um, would you pray with me? And you can pray this out loud. Say this, Jesus, I will follow you. Amen.